You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Thank you for coming this morning. I'm glad you're here. I want to welcome you. And um, thank you, Kevin, for giving us the word there. Um, I think Kevin and I, were we went to a, I think I kind of really got to know Kevin. We went to a men's thing once upon a time years ago, and there wasn't that many people there, but uh, Kevin, uh, I didn't really know him that good. And he said, man, you can't even sit by that guy. He's all spread out like a starfish. That's what he said about me. That's, that's kind of how I met Kevin. I was taking up too much room in the, in the seat for him. He didn't want me to touch him, I guess. But anyway, I appreciate you coming, Kevin. And uh, letting us know on that. Make sure you sign up for that. I think they're kind of wanting to know in advance about how many. I, I figured we'd have 10 to 15 for sure that would show up from here. And, and, um, and, and you'll have the chance in the morning there to, to uh, tell them what it is you're most interested in serving in. If you want to serve in that prayer tent or in the, you know, we want to do more evangelism and that kind of thing, that might be the spot for you. Or if you'd rather just hand out groceries or, or whatever, fit shoes or whatever they got for you. So you just uh, tell them what you want to do and they'll try to put you in the spot. Um, for that, you know, I was at the, I went to the fair, me and Hope went to the fair on Thursday, Friday, I guess. And, uh, and I was just walking around there and, and they had a lot more police presence this year. The fair was a lot cleaner this year than it's been in the past. You know, they, they had a lot more, um, drug dogs and things like that, which is sad that you got to have them, but that's just where we're at. But what I really noticed, they were having the motorcycle races and stuff. There was a bunch of people in the stands. There was a bunch of people in the, you know, walking around in the fair there and, looking at the different things. And I was just kind of thinking about how, how important it is, how important it is for us as a community to know one another, love one another, care for one another. Even in this We Are One Crossfield, there's some things about, uh, you know, the giving out of free food. I mean, we have an abundance of free food in, in Crossville. There's no reason for anyone to be hungry in our county. And some people are a little down on that because they, they don't agree with maybe um, providing those who won't work with, um, with food and things like that. But I just want you to see it as this is our community. This is our chance to have an impact on our community as, at large. It's a, a chance for you to be known in your community. And when negative things happen in a culture, in a nation, your community is what's going what's to keep you. It's what's going to hold you. Look at, um, look at what's going on in Maui right now. And I don't know if you've watched any of that, but um, these guys that, so they really cut off that city after the, the burned part, but there's people that live beyond it. And so people are taking their own boats and going all the way around, you know, they're, they're doing what, that citizens do, people that love one another. America is known for that. And uh, it's one of the good things about America is we love one another. So we got our flaws. But uh, see where you can fit in on that and, and uh, see how you can serve the community in that. And, and like I said, we're taking the name of Christ with us as we go. So we're not going there just to make ourselves feel better. We're taking there to, to take the gospel over there with us. So take the gospel over there and give it to somebody. Anyway, after my soapbox, I will tell you the rest of the story here. Of scripture this morning. We're going to be in 2 Peter, but I thought that 1 John 5, 13, we're going to finish with this, but might as well start where we're going to finish. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Where we left off last Sunday was there in 2 Peter around verse 8, where it said, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he is cleansed from his old sins. So as we looked at those of that list, it started there in verse 5, 5, 6, and 7. 
Um, we, these were these like positive stair steps that are a part of growing towards spiritual maturity, but they're also the development of the different spiritual gifts that we have in us individually. And so for lack of, so someone, and what, what we kind of learned, I believe, I hope you saw, is that we can have these things in the measure that we go after them, Right? It says, first, if you have these things, and we talked about how you could potentially have access to these, but they not be yours. Like someone else is really good at prayer. And so you go with them, and you hear them pray, and you're edified by them praying, right? But you personally don't spend a lot of time in prayer, don't know a lot about prayer, feel uncomfortable in prayer. Um, you know, someone else that's particularly good at fasting, but you never put any effort into fasting while well, you say, well, well, he's really good at it. I'll just watch him get skinnier and, and it'll make me feel better while I eat this hamburger, you know. It's, it's not, not to be silly, but th that's how many spiritual gifts are with people. And many of these, um, what would we call these things? Attributes, maybe, of growth into these spiritual gifts, diligent. Uh, diligence to faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, charity or love. Those things are developed as we put them into action. If we don't ever take any, um, like I said, if every January I tell myself I'm going to go to the gym and every July I'm ashamed to take my shirt off because I never went, I never showed any diligence to go to the gym and actually exercise knowing July is coming. It's coming. Swimsuit season's coming. You're going to have to take your shirt off or you're going to have to go in the ocean with a, you know, a sweatshirt on. So what do you do? You're going to have to show some diligence and you're going to have to take some self-control in that. You're going to have to drive yourself to a, to a point. It says if these things are in you and abound, well, that's the, that's the turning point. They got to be not just in you, you, you can possess them at the moment of salvation, I suppose. It comes to you by his divine power, has given to us, verse 3, all things that pertain to life and godliness that are accessible to you. But if you never put them on, if we have the whole armor of God and we keep it shined up, but we keep it on that little, uh, you know, the rich guy thing that looks like a little person, it's got a hanger, you know, and the thing that warms your towel, and I keep all my armor of God on that thing, whatever that thing's called, uh, <laughs> we keep all my armor on there and it's all shined up, but I never put it on myself Well, it has no effect for me. It has no impact on me. It has no impact on the world. I'm completely defenseless as I go out into the world. So if these steps, like I said, an ascending staircase of sorts, and on the, on the flip side of that is there's the potential to fall off the staircase in a sense as I get away from God's word, as I read it less, as I disassociate myself with God's people, as I disassociate myself with preaching or, or studying myself, or fasting, or prayer, or meditation, or whatever, however, whatever those things are that develop these um, virtues in us, well, then I go the other direction. If a staircase goes, staircase goes up, well, if I turn around, it goes down, right? Science. <laughs> That's how that works. And it says if I go down the staircase, it ends up with barrenness, unfruitfulness in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That person is short-sighted even to blindness and forgetfulness. He forgot that he was cleansed from his old sins. So I'm either going up the staircase. There's no, there's, I suppose a guy could just stand on a stair and be somewhat stagnant for a time, but you're either going to go up or down, but you're most likely not going to remain on a staircase. A staircase goes up to something and a staircase returns to something. And so as we look at that, we look at that turnstile of verse 8, these things are yours and they abound. We need both. 
And so without them, we're backing down the staircase. We're going the wrong direction on the staircase. And in thinking about that, it really gives us a, a good measuring tape to evaluate ourselves where we're at in, that, in our spiritual growth, in our spiritual walk. If I find myself, and this all comes back to this assurance of salvation, that's how I want you to be viewing that. I've had that question a number of times lately, and, and this is the answer right here. This is one of the answers. This is a good spot to find an answer. So if I find myself being diligent, adding to my faith virtue, adding to my virtue knowledge, adding to my knowledge self-control, adding to my self-control perseverance, adding to my perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness to charity or love, if, if I find myself in that direction, well, then I know that I'm going up the staircase, right? My assurance will be more stable than if I'm going down the staircase, if I find myself empty, which is barrenness, it's like an empty barrel, same barren barrel, you know, an empty hole, nothing in it. If I find myself going down the staircase, I find myself unfulfilled spiritually. I find myself empty spiritually. I find myself empty love-wise, empty in, in compassion for the lost, empty in compassion for my neighbor, empty in respect or honor or endurance to put up with people that get on my nerves. If I find myself empty in assurance that I know God, that he knows me. Well, I'm headed the wrong way on the staircase. Turn around. Get back in the Word. Get back close to the, closer to Christ. Get back closer to God. Start growing in grace. Start growing. So you can look at your spirit and measure it against that list really easily. Are these things mine? Question mark. And number two, do I abound in them? Are they mine and they're just really small? You could have those things in a really small measure. We could have just that, that faith of a mustard seed, right? Remember the man and Jesus goes to him, you know, if you believe, I'll heal your son. He goes, I believe. Help my unbelief. You know, I got this, I got this paper clip's worth of belief. And Jesus is like, okay, that's enough. I'll, I'll work with that. But it shouldn't be that 20 years in, following Christ for 20 years, your faith should be bigger than the paper clip. It should have grown. It should be exponentially larger. It should be at least somewhat larger. It shouldn't be the same as when I first believed. It should be larger. But I'll tell you, and I see it with Andrew a lot, as he's really fired up right now, or, and I remember when I was a kid, how much faith I had and belief I had in prayer. I really did. And um, different things that happened that were negative in my life, I'm telling you, you talk about praying. I was a praying machine. I had a lot of faith as a child because I was helpless. And I saw it in the military. Especially when they start, when shelling starts, you'll see some praying, man. You will see some praying. There was all kind of people at the, at the chaplain's. Uh, he offered to do a, uh, uh, a communion service before we were fixing to go on this raid. And we had just got hit with a 4,000-pound frog missile. And so they're like, I mean, there was all kind of people. There was like 200 people there. I never seen anybody come to church, ever. It was like me and three Hispanic guys. Catholic guys to take communion, right? And there was like a hundred. Um, when that happens, faith increases. Desire for faith increases, right? Hunger for righteousness increases. Increases. Repentance increases. Fear of what you've done that hasn't been reconciled to God is increased. I promise you, it's increased. Oh, there was some humble little fellers right there. They're willing to go anyway. They're still willing to go and get shot. But the fact of the matter is before they got shot, they wanted to make sure that they were right before God. 
So you're going up or you're going down the staircase. So if I spend, um, so this abounding thing is going to involve a certain measure of time spent in study, right? Or in reading or in prayer. I mean, I understand there's some people that can't read. How are they going to hear that? Well, they can listen to the radio. Oh, they got the Bible on, on um, whatever that little recorder we have that has the Bible with the solar panel on it. Um, you can hear the word. So what do I do? What do I need to do to reject the hindrances that are keeping me from abounding in these things? Well, the Bible tells us to flee youthful, youthful lust. Flee youthful lust. Okay, so I, I put some of these things behind me that are keeping me, that are hindering me from abounding. But another point is, whether we abound in these or not, if we're saved, truly saved, and we're going to talk about that, uh, God's love is the same. This is difficult for us because if I do more good, if I'm more gooder than I was yesterday, if I'm more better than this guy over here, God will love me more, and that's just not how it works. His love is like this. We're like this. His love is the same. His love is consistent. Whichever way on the staircase you're going, if you know him, are saved by the power of the cross of Christ, then his love is the same. He doesn't love less those that fell off the stairs, if they're his, because there's a place for reconciliation. There's still a place for repentance. There's still a place for his long suffering. There's still a place for renewal and all those things. So he's not loving to those more that have brotherly kindness and charity than those who are lacking in those things. I was, not if we're truly saved, just to be clear. And I was, I was thinking about you, Andrew, and, and something that Mark said, but also I met these people at the rescue mission on Friday, this couple, and, um, they had spent two years apart because the guy had been in Bledsoe County and then and, in the jail down there, in the prison down there, and his wife had been wherever she was. And so they came up to the rescue mission to reconcile. And I was talking to them after the service, and I said, well, you know, they had both been saved years before, but they had fallen off the staircase, obviously, and I don't know. They got way off the staircase. They weren't even in the neighborhood of the staircase. And they they were so kind of traumatized by that, but they were so together in that moment, and they were both really focused on the Lord, and it was really good to see that there's a point. Can we turn this, can we turn the speakers down just a little tiny bit, please? This one's cracking real bad over here, picking up something. Uh, they were both, um, they both recognized that God had never, they had left God, but God had never left them. And um, uh, Andrew was giving his testimony. He was saved young. And while he moved away from God, God never left him. God had kept him protected. God had kept him guarded. God had kept him in his care. At whatever, and not to say that you can't get to the point that the Bible tells us in 1 John, there is a sin unto death. If you continue to stomp God's name in the mud and proclaim his name, but then live a life double to that, he'll take you. He'll remove you. But for those that are his and are called according to his name, he's got a place for you. And now those, those people were able to look back on all the stuff that they had done and what had happened to them and even how the guy had got put into prison. And he said, uh, oh, man, I was put there because God put me there. He had to stop me so that he could rescue me. And that was the best thing ever happened to me was me being in prison. Okay. Well, if you can see God's hand in that, that's great. 
Because God's hand was on him the whole time, even when he was in his black backslidden state, um, his protections were still there. His guidance was still there. And I, I tell those guys all the time, how many times has a person come to you, even when you're at your worst, and then like this messenger just kind of comes out of nowhere and gives you this word like, you know, hey, God loves you, or God bless you, or, or hey, you know, you're sitting out in front of a gas station and they give you a little money or something to get you a drink and, or give you a little Bible track. That's God speaking through that person, calling you back. I haven't forgotten you. I saw, this was, this was with that Maui thing. An older lady was trying to escape the fire. I don't know if you've looked into that at all, but I, I, how it came, it just rushed on that town and, and burned it up, and, and there, there may be as many as 1,000 dead. They don't know. There's at least well over 100 now. And she said, I was going back towards the city, and a man came out of the smoke, and he said, you need to turn around and go the other way. And so I just turned and went the other way. And then the guy went back in the smoke. And she lived. So we don't know. Because God's always got a hand in that person's life. And he's like, it's not time yet. It might be time for him. It may have been an angel. It may have been God himself. I don't know. But I'm telling you, it wasn't her time. And so God provided a means of escape for her to be restored. And brought back to him to be used in a future spot. It's really interesting how that works. Second Peter 1. So we read 8 and 9. These things are yours and abound. You'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. And has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It says there in Hebrews 12, 2, I think we got that one. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Yeshua, the author and finisher of, author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despite the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the key to maintaining your... Uh, balance on the upward staircase of Second Peter. It's what are your eyes focused on? If your eyes are focused on Christ, and even if you, you know, like Peter, when he takes his eyes off Christ, he starts to sink. Lord, save me. He pulls him out. As long as his eyes are on Jesus, everything's cool. When he takes his eyes off Jesus, he starts to sink. We take our eyes off of Christ, we, we, we get slack in our diligence. We get slack in our virtues and our knowledge and our self-control and our perseverance and all those things. We get slack in those things when we take our eyes off of him. And what we've been learning, I think we've been learning, I've been learning, maybe you've been learning, but that of First Peter when it says the testing of your faith, and then we saw it there with David, and we saw it in that Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 11 this morning, the testing of your faith, that God tests men. Well, what does he test men for? Well, he tests men to see if they'll keep their eyes on it. But when we keep our eyes on him, maybe the test ends, maybe it doesn't. Maybe he's hiding behind something, making you look harder. But the testing of men is what draws them to him. However that works, we don't like that plan. That's his plan. We don't get to say what the plan is. His plan is, I'm going to test you. I was, this is so crazy. Um, last night, um, and then in putting this together yesterday and then in the previous week, you know, I was thinking, you know, 
and I was talking to Charlie Alvin, he was talking about prayer, and he's like, well, I wish I prayed more. I prayed in a deeper way or better way or something. And he goes, well, you know, he kind of asked me, you know, what about you? Do you pray? And then I go home, and I'm like, man, am I praying enough? Thanks a lot, Charlie. You know, should I pray more? Should I pray in a deeper way? Is there something I'm missing in prayer, you know? And I think, well, right now, like in this moment, yesterday, say around noon, everything was cool. And then this morning, everything was not cool. You know? And I needed to pray a lot. And then the testing of the things that happen in the individual person's life, in the individual day, he's like, everything's cool, huh? <laughs> Let me help you out there, brother. Let's, let's try a little test. Let's see how cool you are. Let's see how stable you are. Let's see if you're as loyal and abundant and faithful as you say you are. Let's see. And so he gives you a little test. Not more than you can bear. He says he won't give you more than you can bear. With a temptation, provide a means of escape. And we, you're going to bear it until you die. So if there's a point where you can't bear it anymore, there's a point, but then you're dead. So it doesn't matter. When you hit that point, you won't care anyway because you'll be with him face to face. But until that moment, you'll be able to bear it. And I've seen people in terrible health and terrible problems and, and, uh, and whatever, and I'm thinking about that scripture and I'm thinking, this guy can't bear anymore. And what happens? He dies. It's, it's a hard thing to put our mind around, but in this growing spiritually, it's not for sissies. It's for soldiers of the cross. He called them soldiers. Be a good soldier. What does a soldier have to do? A soldier has to endure. Probably the best thing I ever learned in the Marine Corps was it can always be worse and endurance. No matter what it's doing, it can always be worse. I promise you, if it's raining, it could be snowing. Or if it's shooting, they could be bombing you. It can always be worse. But the other thing is endurance. Because if you can hang in there, it'll pass. But you've got to hang in there. You can't quit. You can't fall off the staircase when things aren't going exactly as planned. You've got to keep going up the staircase. And that's involving keeping your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. And that brought this thought to me that where, where we have this problem, and it seems to be a a problem that nearly every believer suffers from at one point or another, and that's assurance of salvation. And it all comes down to this. There's two things going on. There's an objective thing and there's a subjective thing. So an objective thing is a, something that's true whether we realize it or accept it as truth or not. It doesn't matter. It, you can say you don't believe in gravity, but, you know, fall over and see what happens. It's, a, it's an objective. It happens either way, whether you believe it or not. Subjective is... Um, it's something that we think could be a possibility. It's just within our realm of, of thinking there from our own viewpoint. It's our subjective view. I see Charlie Alva this way. His wife sees him a different way, right? It's a subjective view. It's how I perceive him. It's how I view him. And the thing that's causing us a problem here is that we're looking at our salvation in a subjective way. And Peter says, make your calling and election sure. Well, is it, is it for sure that I'm saved? Or is it not for sure? Does, is God not possible, not capable of saving me? He said he's got the power to save me. But if, so Christ knows it's sure. It's you that doesn't know it's sure. Is that not right? Objectively, it's sure. Subjectively, from your viewpoint, it's unsure. I don't know. Can I be more saved or less saved or just saved? Could I be more or less saved? What if I did more good stuff? Could I be more saved? 
What if I did, you know, what if I helped the widows and, and, you know, went over to the rescue mission and fed a meal? Would I be more saved than if I didn't do those things? What if I went to church more? Would I be more saved? What if I prayed more? Would I be more saved? Or would I be less saved? <laughs> I mean, that's how we measure it, is how much good stuff do I do would make me more saved, right? And if I did less good stuff, then I would be less saved. I'd be more likely to, to fall into the fiery pit when I die. No, everybody's like, tell us everybody's just like in shock right now. I'm telling you, if you're saved, you're saved. That's the end result. The objective truth is, if you're saved, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Will. And you know, it's not you might. That would be subjective. You might be saved. You might not. I don't know. Look at you. You know, look at yourself in the mirror. Am I saved? You will be saved. So when we're being good, good little children, we feel more saved. When we're being bad, we feel less saved. And, and that makes our thinking subjective. So many Christians, if you would ask most Christians, they would say, can you know that you're saved? And they would say, yes, you can know. The security of the believer. If it was called a doctrine, that's what it would be called. If it was a doctrine. But then you say, do you know that you're saved? Man, I tell you, <laughs> I'm a pretty good person, but one time, you know, whatever, and they continue with that story. Listen, I, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know. Because this one time I did this, I said that, I thought this, I acted in this way. If God took our life, if God treated us the way we think he thinks, man, we would be hopeless. But at one time, and I've told you this before, I think, but it was in Peru, and a, a guy told a woman that uh, the lady was a real, um, a real good Christian lady, and she was talking to this guy on a park bench. And he had a little two-year-old boy. And um, the guy said to the woman, the woman tells him, he starts proclaiming the gospel to him, and the guy says, well, if, God's, if God was real, uh, he would do something, you know, really dramatic, and I would know. She goes, well, what are you talking about? If God is real, he should strike me dead. See, I'm still alive. And she goes, is that your little boy over here, this little two-year-old? Yeah, that's my baby right there. Do you love him? Yeah, I love him. Um, would you go to your house and give your little boy a loaded pistol and let him do whatever he wants with it? Well, of course not. What if he said, I'm going to shoot you with this gun? Would you let him shoot you? No. Would you let him shoot himself? No. She goes, she goes, you're like this little child before God. You're saying ridiculous things that are so outside the realm of possibility control and, and whatever, ideal, and, it's, and, and your thinking is wrong. You're very small. He knows what you are. He knows you're pitiful, and he loves you in your pitifulness. There's no way he's going to strike you dead because he's not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance. And the guy ends up accepting Christ. It was, it was pretty wild to sit and watch this guy. And he was a big old macho-looking guy, and he was crying like a little girl out there. It was good. It was good. She broke him down just explaining to him how foolish his thinking was as he stands before God and he says these crazy things, and God doesn't strike. Man, if God struck us down the moment every time we did something wrong, and our salvation, if he removed our salvation, the minute we, we fell back one stair, man, there'd be no hope for any of us. Man, if the Lord held our iniquities against us, who could stand? Man, he, 
It says he casts them as far as the east is from the west. He casts them into the sea. They're forgotten. We can't forget them, but he forgets them. It's amazing. He says, Given, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. So can I, by my own actions, if God's not going to remove my salvation the moment I mess up, can I enhance my calling and election for myself? This isn't, God doesn't need you to be more saved. He needs you to know that you are saved. That's what that is. He wants you to be developed in your salvation. Look what it says after that. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. If I get my calling and election sure, if I get the understanding of that right, then I'm not going to be stumbling off the staircase all the time. Your assurance could be disturbed by the life that you live. That's the truth. So if your life is not lived in sincerity and truth, and you're, you're probably going to lie in your bed at night and wonder if you're saved. If you're living a double life, you got a double thing going on, whatever your thing is, whatever your hang-up is, and you got that going on, and what you are doing in this negative sense is overriding what you could be doing in the positive sense of you know, reading the Word or, or praying or meeting with other believers or hearing preaching or any of the things that would develop us spiritually in a positive sense. I don't want to get new agey on you, but you understand what I'm saying. If you're filling yourself with poison, guess what? You're going to get sick. If you're filling yourself with nutrition, you're going to get better. The Messiah has already done everything necessary to bring salvation to you. Now, we already talked about it. If you confess with your mouth, he makes it very simple. It's not work salvation, and it's not if I'm more gooder that God will love me more. Um, the salvation has been accomplished. It's already completed, and when we attach ourselves to it, when he saves us, when he frees us from our sins, we're saved. When we sin, when we have discord, when we have backsliding, we fall, that, that, that we fall off the staircase, for lack of a better word, well, what happens is we begin getting fearful about our salvation. But what we've got to recognize is we need to go back to that first word that said, or add to your faith, virtue. Your faith needs building up. So those, those negative things that we do, the things that, that give us, um, the things that peck away, if the foundation um, be destroyed, what will the righteous do? The things that peck away at the foundation, um, when we control the things that peck away from the foundation, then our, our faith will be growing. If we keep adding sin to our life, we're trying to read the book over here, we're, we're you know, I don't know, I, I make it sound like there's all these things you got to do, and it's not that, but I'm telling you, the further you get from God and the things of God, the more you're going to feel separated from God. But it doesn't necessarily make it true. I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but to make your calling in a, uh, election sure, you need to make the objective truth of God save me when I called out in repentance and faith in the name of Yeshua, Messiah. You need to make that, sub, you need to, it's objective, it's true. You need to make it subjective so that it's yours. I know, when I, in myself, I know that I believe in Christ's ability and his willingness to save me. Not only did he have the ability to do it, but he was willing to do it. He did his part, and I trust that he will continue to do his part until that day. And if you got that in line, your calling and your election is sure, well then, your things will be in place and you will never stumble. You won't fall back into that as an older person. 
So could my Christian life be more meaningful? How about that? Could my Christian life be more meaningful if I put more effort towards it? This has nothing to do with work, salvation. Is my marriage more meaningful if I put effort towards it? Does it, does, Renetta means more to me now with the cancer thing than she meant before. But I have to do more things for her now than I did before. So I had to put more effort into it. So if something happens to her, it costs me more. It's a, it's a high cost. So if you put more effort into a friendship or a job skill or your health, everything is more meaningful the more effort you put into it. It's more stable. You're calling an election sure. It's going to be more sure-footed. It's going to be more based. When you put effort into it, it's going to mean more to you. You're going to understand more about who God is. You're going to understand who more who Christ is and how much his care is for you. God demonstrated his own love towards us, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I recognize that God did that much for me, well, the least I could do is understand what it meant for him to do that. I could do that. I could be more diligent in those things. <laughs> Man, my microphone is just falling apart here. Huh. Make your calling and election sure. So if you're struggling with the assurance thing, go back to making your calling and election sure. Inspect your thought life. Inspect the things, the words that you say, um, the actions that you prioritize in your life. We, we got all these things going on, and they're absolutely ridiculous what we do with our lives. Well, especially, I don't know, the, spe the time we spend on the Internet or, or on things where we're just visually taking things in with no action whatsoever required from our bodies, it's, it's, it's shameful because we're not taking dominion over the earth like we should be. Um. And as you return to looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith, you'll have more faith. As you put aside the foolish things and begin to develop in the spiritual things, you'll have more faith. If my entire Christian existence goes back to the time when I was six or seven years old, whatever age I was, when I accepted Christ in a, in a vacation Bible school or a church function, whatever it was, um, but I never develop in any way in any of these things towards spiritual maturity, I'm going to lack assurance of salvation. It doesn't make me less saved. But on the last day when I'm laying in my bed and it's all she wrote and they're fixing to haul me off and put me in the grave, I'm going to be fearful because I never developed beyond infancy, spiritual infancy. What are your kids I mean, look at little kids and their lack of understanding of things. We've got to grow into that thing. Okay. So if, I, if that's the last I ever did, then yes, I'm going to struggle with knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. That's uh, Philippians 3.10. I'm going to struggle with that. Generally, the person who lacks assurance, he lacks a solid foundation under him. To know Christ and the power of of his resurrection should give us great assurance, great confidence in that he'll do what he says he'll do. He alone has the power to save, and he will save. 
He doesn't just have the power. He's actually going to do it. I have the power to ride a motorcycle, a dirt bike, a really fast one. Yeah. And have you ever seen those big dirt ramps where they jump like over buses and stuff? I have the power to do it. I ain't got the will to do it. I'm going to tell you because you got to land on the other side. God's got the power and he's got the will. And it says 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 12, for this reason, well, let's start at verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in this present truth. This is a sweet reminder to us of, of the assurance that, that Peter gives us. He knew that he wasn't going to see the rapture. Christ told him, John 21 and 18, he said, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go. When you're old, they're going to bind your hands, they're going to gird your waist, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go. He knew he wasn't going to see the rapture. But for you, you might, or you might not, but you might. And knowing that, that your calling and election is sure, you can look forward to the day of death, the day of the fear of death, I don't care how Christian-y you are, it's a real thing. And the reality is it's real because we've never experienced it before. And it's not till you're in that moment fighting for your life, fighting for your last breath, that you either lay down and let death come, you fight through it and, and maybe you survive, but you don't get to die once and then come back and tell yourself, okay, it wasn't that bad, it was, it, it, you can do it. It's a door you got to walk through, but you don't get any experience beforehand to get to try it out. You know what I'm saying? It's a very difficult thing to look forward to this day of death, but it's, it's not a thing that we have common knowledge about. We can read in the Bible. We can read about what heaven's like and absent from the body is present with the Lord, but it's the part of getting absent from the body and present from the Lord that's very disconcerting because that happens by a number of ways. Trees fall on people. Buses run over people. People get cancer, whatever. Stuff happens. The little door right there is very difficult to understand. But if our calling and election is sure, we might fear the instrument of death, but we shouldn't fear death itself. It's a tricky thing. Our assurance of eternal life can give us the courage to face that which we do not understand or, or, or know. For so an entrance, it's a guaranteed entrance that will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To to walk through the door, we can know that we're saved. Go to 1 John. It's probably the very best, uh, like kind of single scriptures there written for us, 1 John 5, that gives us like, if you have this, you can know. Like if you have this coupon, you can know you're going to get 10% off. If you have this, you can know you're going to get, you're going to have salvation, that you're going to have eternal life. 1 John 5. Start at verse 10. Very simple. If you have this, you have eternal life. It's really simple. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The continue to believe in the name of the Son of God is the trick. It says, 
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It's an adamant statement. You may know. It's not, it's subjective, but it's objective. You may have 100% satisfaction in knowing, confidence in knowing that you have eternal life if you believe in the name of the Son of God, that he has the power of salvation for you, for everyone who believes. That's it. And then it says, and you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. So here's what happens. Time goes on. Things happen, negative things. You have a bad day, a bad week. You kick the dog. You cuss your wife. You get in a car wreck. All these negative things happen. And, and you say, man, I, I, don't even, I don't feel saved. I don't, even, I don't even think I'm saved. I don't even know what happened. I don't know where I'm at. But you can go back to 1 John 5 and 13, and it says, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. And it says and that you may continue to believe in the name. You can go back and get back on the staircase because you've gotten off the staircase somewhere and get back on the staircase and start growing in the faith and the virtue and the knowledge of the Son of God and, and, and all those things. The last thing in that, in that list, by the way, where it talks about charity, if the, ver- the word before that says brotherly kindness, but then the last word says charity or love. And I would assume that would be if we were just in reading that, you would assume that it was just like you'd become more loving, which I've seen that in older people. Um, I mean, I knew a guy that won a bronze star at the Battle of the Bulge. He didn't get that from handing out cookies there. And so, but as an older man, he was one of the most, Bob Tidwell, he was one of the most loving men I ever met. He was the kindest, most gentlest little fellow, just, uh, um, uh, anyway. He, he just this, but it, that's not the love it's talking about. This is a love towards the lost. This is a general love for all mankind, but this is also a love towards the lost. You're going to develop in charity towards those that are lost. You're going to develop in love, yes, but the brotherly kindness is to the brethren, and the charity at the end is more towards the lost than towards the saved. You're going to gain a love for men that God has for men, hateful men, wicked men, and somehow you can gain a love for them and a care for them and not to desire to see them destroyed but to see them saved it's a just an interesting thing to think about there so there's some things that are required for a person to gain eternal life it's very very few things it says it right here in this list he who has the son has eternal life so if you believe that jesus is the messiah you've confessed your sins and repentance and faith you've cried out to him to save you you're saved to begin to walk to pick up your cross daily and follow him is the is the stair steps the further away you get from the staircase, the less assurance you're going to have. For believers that are active believers, I really wonder um, uh, what you're missing. You don't want to confess to me, probably, or, or to anyone, a deacon, that you're not reading the Word, but go back to reading the Word. If you're struggling with assurance of salvation, go back to reading the Word. Go back to listening to the Scriptures. Go back to listening to good preaching. And your assurance will return. Your faith will grow. And know that the testing of your faith is what builds you. Pressure and heat, that's what makes the diamond. So just know, when his finger, which weighs a lot more than you can bear, is on top of your head, pressure and heat, he's, he's making something out of you. I want you to look at this last verse. It's John six forty. This is Jesus speaking. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in, in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up on that last day. That's pretty 
confident building, isn't it? I just want to tell you that this morning, if you're struggling with the assurance of salvation, I, I told somebody the other day, go back and read 1 John. That's probably the best book for that. It's relatively short, and it really builds into you that you can know. And it talks about sin and confession of sin and all that. It helps you get that back and where that needs to be. You can go read uh, Psalm 51, too. That's another one. But John, 1 John 5, that's where it's at right there. And that'll build into you, and that'll develop you and encourage you that you may know that you have eternal life. Father, in the name of Jesus this morning, we ask that these that have come, as they hear the word, they got different things going on in their life. Lord, first of all, we confess sin before you now and ask that you remove the things from us that are hindering our eyes from seeing you clearly and unplug our ears so that we can hear the word and be good Bereans to understand it and to, to measure it and to develop it in our minds and, and draw us to you, Lord. Control the words that come out of our mouth for it's what, not what goes into the man that defiles the man but what comes out of the man, Lord. That defiles the man. I pray that the words that come from our mouth are, are the rivers of living water pouring out of the innermost parts of the man that develop the man, that it makes him a helpful man to the kingdom and not a hindrance, Lord. I pray for those that have besetting sin in their life, Lord, this morning, that you would show mercy to them. You would open their eyes to the things that are hindering them from hearing your voice, Lord, and they would repent in this moment, Lord. For those that could possibly be here and not be saved, Lord, I pray that today is the day of their salvation that they would hear your word, respond to it, and go away glad. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your long-suffering towards us. Thank you for all the things you've blessed us in and, and developed in us, Lord. I pray that as we see our nation begin to stumble, Lord, that these that are here that have heard your word today, that they would never fall. They would be, remain diligent, loyal to the end to serve you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We give you all the honor, glory, and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, I'll wait for you if anyone wants to come and talk or anyone wants to accept Christ today. I would love to talk to you. I'd love to give you that opportunity if you need to rededicate your life today. If you want to come be a church member and we can talk about that, any of those things, I want to give you the opportunity for that. Um, I would ask that you be prayer for uh, Renetta this week. She's just really having a, this has been a little more difficult um, treatment this time and, um, and she's having some more problems than she's had in the past. And if you'd keep her in prayer there, I would appreciate that. We'll have a prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. And we've got a meal afterwards. I pray that you'll stay and eat with us and, uh, and uh, talk about spiritual things, good things. Uh, the sports await. Talk about godly things, okay, while you're in the house of God. God bless you all. Pray you stay and eat with us. I'll wait for it if you want to come and pray. All right. See you tonight at 6, 6 p.m. for prayer meeting.